The North Carolina Healthcare Association is a proud sponsor of the Do Politics Better podcast. The association is a united voice for hospitals, health systems, and care providers to ensure they can offer high quality, lower cost care to all North Carolinians. Visit nchealthcare.org to learn more about how hospitals and health systems are working to make healthcare easier, more convenient, and with better outcomes. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. While you're listening to this, Brian is almost finished with a bike ride across the state, and I will be finished with hearing about it. I'm going <laughs> to mute you. You're not looking forward to my updates on Twitter about how I'm suffering? This is the thing about you. If you're doing something, we're all going to hear about it. (laughs) If it's something that makes you feel like you're better than other people Uh getting up early, you'll post about it every time. Um, Working out, we're going to hear about it. Oh, I'm running and it's summertime. It's so sweaty. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) keep it to yourself. Yeah, well... So I'm starting the bike ride on Sunday, this past Sunday. You're probably hearing this podcast on Thursday or Friday. This past Sunday, I will have started biking from Banner Elk, and I'm ending at Emerald Isle. It's the Cycle NC event that Visit NC puts together every year. This was the first year that my schedule allowed me to spend a whole week riding my bike across the state. Now, I will say this. I didn't know I was going to be able to do this until last week because we thought there was a chance we'd be talking casinos even now. Yeah. Well, lucky for you. Yeah. So we wanted to have a podcast. So we're recording this on Thursday before I leave. And we're going to feature today a conversation with Dan Crawford. He is at the League of Conservation Voters, and he's going to talk to us about redistricting. Now, why are we having Dan on? Dan, back in 2000, 2001, he was on staff for Senator Steve Metcalf. Senator Metcalf, when Democrats were in charge, they, he chaired the redistricting committee along with Senator Brad Miller and Senator Frank Balance. Now, redistricting has changed a lot since 2001, but there are some things that are still in place. And yes, we did try to get a Republican operative to come on to the podcast and talk about redistricting. And I had a lot of great conversations with those Republican operatives, but they said, I can't come on the podcast and talk about redistricting because I don't want to end up in court having to testify about something I've said on the podcast as it pertains to redistricting. So all our Republican friends said, looks like you're going to have to go solo with a Democrat. So we have Dan on. Now, Dan has his opinions about redistricting. And by the way, they're not just aimed at Republicans. He sees redistricting and gerrymandering specifically as a bad thing. And we know that You listeners out there, you probably have your opinions as well, but we do think there are some nuggets for us to take out of this conversation with Dan so that we can better understand the process, which leads to 
something I wanted to talk to you about before we get into the conversation. And that is, you know, we've really never talked about it, Sky. but have you thought about this issue at all and whether there's solutions out there? Because I'll tell you this, I see redistricting and I see gerrymandering and it is somewhat off-putting, but I have no solution whatsoever. I've seen proposed solutions out there. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how you get around it. Yeah, like even when Dan was talking about the independent commissions that you have, well, who appoints those people? Right. Are they legislators or the political parties or judges? Right. All of these people are inherently biased, whether you are going to say that out loud or not. And then each person comes in with their own opinions. So it's tough to think of like a truly independent process. And I'm no expert in redistricting at all. So Mm. I, I really, you know, it's one of my cardinal rules. I will not speak on things that I do not know about. Same. The thing about this issue is I think a lot of folks do speak about it and they don't have what I see as a workable solution. So yeah, the redistricting commission, if you look at a, say a planning board in a city and, and you think, well, we got to go before the planning board in order to get this approved for the city council. Well, the planning board is usually approved by the city council and it's pretty much what they say is what they're going to say. And it's, I just don't know. And I, you know, I, the Constitution is the Constitution. It does give power to the state legislatures to redraw districts. It's one of those things where, you know, we pass a lot of laws, and really what the law should say is we hereby declare that you just do the right thing. I do wish legislators had more restraint. But we're going to talk about it. They're under a lot of pressure from outside bodies to deliver seats. And I just don't know what the solution is. But we want to learn about this process. We feel that we should talk about it. And we hope that this helps you understand the redistricting process. And maybe out there in Do Politics Better podcast world, someone has the magic solution. Hey, before we get into the conversation with Dan. We did have some news pop up today. We we just dropped our podcast from last week. Gosh, I feel like I'm in a back to the future time capsule here. Um, some news dropped this week as it pertains to Speaker Tim Moore. The speaker announced that he not only wouldn't be running for speaker again, but he also will not run for the House at all. Yeah. Which makes sense if you're not going to run for speaker you would give yourself a demotion? That would be a tough office to be assigned to. And then we heard today that Governor Cooper has issued a veto. He vetoed the second elections bill that we have talked in depth about on the podcast, Senate Bill 749. We expected that. They still have its sister bill, 747, in the veto garage, if you will. So we would expect both of those veto overrides the week of October 9th. That's when they're scheduled to come in and vote, at least on the congressional maps, we think. They'll Mm -hmm. be done. Uh, By the way, today I ran into Senator Michael Lee over at the Spectrum News Studios, and we were just kind of talking about the redistricting session 
it's not a special session in and of itself. They are just doing redistricting in the long session. So anything can happen on October 9th, including moving legislation through regular committees. So October 9th, it's action time at the General Assembly. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Dan Crawford, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. must have done something right to get invited back. (laughs) (laughs) You did. You you were on our podcast about kind of the mining for information data that's out there and how it affects elections. That was a very listened to podcast. Well, glad to be back. I think that was about a year ago because I think I came over right after the state fair and we're about to enter fair season right now. So that's right. Thanks for having me back. To start us off, we are going to talk to you about redistricting. What's your definition of redistricting? Basically, every 10 years by the Constitution, when everybody does the census, after the census is done, districts have to be redrawn, so they're fairly drawn. This is was decided in the Supreme Court in the 60s, and let me put this, I'm about three years shy of a law degree, okay. so I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, uh, so don't take any of this as legal advice, but um, every 10 years, the country has to reapportion districts based on the census. And that is just the political boundaries that your state legislators run in. And so they have to be redrawn every 10 years. And so that's what happens. A little over, I think about 40 states, the legislature draws the districts and another 10 or so have uh, independent commissions of some some sort of commission that draws them. So that's the census that is required by the Constitution. Yep. That's where they literally go and count every head, make sure that, you know, this district is uh, may have lost population, they may right. have gained. So it's about that one man, one vote. That's exactly right. 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 So, Dan, we want to get into the redistricting process. Before we do, we think it's important that maybe you outline your credentials here. You have been on all sides of redistricting. Tell us who you are and your past lives in this uh, Yeah, how, how long's the show? Do we have, do we have time? <laughs> um, yeah, so many, many moons ago, my, one of my first jobs was at the legislature, and I worked for Senator Steve Metcalf. And back in the 2001 drawing of the maps, he uh, and two of his fellow Senate colleagues were the chairman of the redistricting. I was uh, Senator Brad Miller, Senator mm-hmm. Frank Balance, and Senator Steve Metcalf. So I, although I did not staff that committee, I got, did get to see it pretty close up and learn a lot about the process through the years. And I actually went on to work for Senator Miller, who became Congressman Miller, mm-hmm. uh, down the road because of a new district that we got after that. And then I've been involved in campaigns ever since in some form or capacity. But the lines matter. Uh, and just most recently, the organization I work for, the League of Conservation Voters, we were part of a lawsuit that we won at the federal level, like a pick-to-page moment. December 2022, when I'm standing outside the Supreme Court at a press conference talking about redistricting. Who knew? This is Harper v. Moore, right? This is Harper v. Moore. Uh, We were a plaintiff. I think we might have been like the second name after um, Harper. Uh, Excuse me. Yeah, that's right. Becky Harper. Okay. Uh, Tim Moore. Because our organization, we, we have members in all 100 counties that are affected by redistricting and who we elect. And that's how we got involved. So you said lines matter. We should point out that 
two of the three chairs of that redistricting committee in 2001 went on to serve in Congress. You could make an, a connection there or not, but certainly m the lines matter, and they ultimately oversee the drawing of those lines. That's correct. And the unique thing about that is, you know, again, we talked about the numbers and the census. After that census, North Carolina gained a seat. Mm -hmm. So up until 2000, we only had 12 seats. And then I think we took one from Utah. Utah was mad as hell about it. Mm -hmm. They were angry. We took their district and they sued North Carolina, went to the Supreme Court, and we won the case and got a, a 13th congressional district. And that's what Mr. Miller served in for almost a decade. He had a pretty hard primary. I remember I just started working in the General Assembly as a lobbyist. Bill Martin was in Greensboro, yep. Brad Miller here in Raleigh. It was a district that had two big urban centers, and then it was connected along the northern That's tier. correct. Yeah. I call it the Bent Barbell District. I see, yeah. Where you had Greensboro on one end, Raleigh on the other, and then the Bend went through the northern counties of Granville, uh, Person, Rockingham County, okay. and Caswell County. And then, uh, by the way, it was Congressman Frank Balance. He also served. Yep. He, he got a seat out of that as well. So right now, as we're recording this, and by the way, we're recording this on September 26th, redistricting process has just started this week. They are on kind of the statewide tour hearing sessions that they're starting. And we won't get into why we are redrawing districts. That's a whole other issue. We, well, we only got 50 minutes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but we're back at it. Basically, the Supreme Court is now Republican. The General Assembly feels that they can redraw these districts. Can you walk us through, Dan, what is going on right now in the redistricting process? You know, to start out with, there's several key criteria that go into drawing maps. Okay. Uh, one of them is uh, Con, con, contigu ah, I just said it a minute ago. Contiguity. Contiguity, con, contiguity yeah. Excuse me. Uh, my, my mountain tongue <laughs> is uh, slipping up on me. But, you know, a district has to, like, connect. Okay. It ha has to be, uh, you know, so you can't have a bridge over a river that connects a district. So there's got to be contiguity in okay. the district. So that's one of the first criteria they look at. You also look at compactness. You know, you, you don't, you, you've seen some of these districts that look like Rorschach test or ink blots. Uh, we're trying to get away from that. Um, so they're, they're looking at compactness. They're also looking at community. Uh, you want to draw a community that seem to represent or be like-minded, uh, that share a community of values can also goes into play. So that, that's some of the three big things. And then there's one other thing that um, North Carolina does, and that's called clustering. And that's you know where there's, this is the algorithm, you know, three-year shot of a law degree, probably even further from a math degree <laughs> or a computer science degree. But there's community, there's uh, county clusters that go into effect, and that's all trying to make the maps, make sure they're drawn fair and link communities together in, in a very uh, substantial way that keeps, again, folks together that should be together. So you don't have big urban district like Mecklenburg stretching through the farmlands of, of, all the way down through uh, farmland country because those two communities are different. They, they, they don't have that much in common. So county clusters are a big thing. There's an algorithm that kicks that out, right, yeah. to the General Assembly. So it's not like they're looking at it and saying this cluster, that cluster. The computer kicks yeah. it out and tells them. And that's how we got into the situation last year or two years ago when C Senator Deanna Ballard had to be double bunked with Senator Ralph Heist. The computer basically told the General right. Assembly that's what you have to do. 
Yeah, it kicked out that, that map, and, you know, again, it's done in a way that the courts have really helped dictate what that algorithm is, and you're right, you know, that that's what came out, so it's not like you can say, oh, press replay, let's pick a different ending. Right. That That's what is fair, that's what's been chosen, so that's what we have to live by, and that, I think it was about a half a dozen or more members that were double bunked, and the double bunk just means that they were two current elected members drawn into the same district, so... Either one would have to step away or retire, or they would have to compete in a primary. So for those of us who thought the Republicans con- control the General Assembly, therefore they control redistricting, they'll just fix that between Senator Ballard and Heiss. All accounts are they couldn't. That, that, that's my understanding, you know, yeah. back, back to my law degree that I lack. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's correct. Uh, before that case, Stevenson case, I think they could have gone back and fixed it. Uh, that's the Ashley Stevenson case from yep. the 1990s. Was it the 90s? It might have been 2000. Yeah, I, sure. think, I think it's to 2000. It's a little later than that. And so Ashley Stevenson was a Republican who sued the Democratic yeah. process. And out of the Stevenson decision comes, you, you have to have them as compact. Yep. They need to be within the county if they In can. In the county clusters. And I have pages of notes on that, that if anyone's having trouble sleeping, I, I could read to you what goes into that. But right. I, believe, I believe that's correct. Right. I, would, I would stand to be corrected if I'm wrong. Kind of going off of that, you hear the narrative right now that essentially the computers pick for you, that they're not really doing a lot of adjusting. What types of adjustments can be made when you enter in your data into the computer? You know, once those come out, I mean, as you know, we were talking, then the party in power can go in with a scalpel and then start bisecting and dissecting precincts to get some nuances fixed in a district. And, and that's what we see a lot of. I think I was told that in one set of maps uh, that were drawn by the Republican Party, they split 400 precincts. Back when the Democrats last drew the maps, I think they split 40 precincts. Uh, now, all that with the caveat, that was 2001. That was before iPhones. The internet was, what, less than a decade old. Or, yeah, still dial up in yeah, many areas. Still, still yeah. dial up in many areas. So technology has come a long way and that goes into the map drawing that the Democrats didn't have. And redistricting and gerrymandering isn't really a malady of the Republican Party. It's a malady of both parties. Uh, Democrats are guilty of it. Republicans are guilty of it. When Democrats drew their maps that were unfair, that got Republicans sued in courts. You know, Republicans called for independent commissions to draw the maps. Republicans won. Democrats called for independent commissions to draw the maps. Here we are, no independent commissions. In, in a way that, again, North Carolina special, I feel like our maps have been in the courts since the 1990s. That's uh, 30 years that our courts have been litigated in one one way or another. And then the 90s was the Mel Watt district. The infamous. I-85 corridor where they went down I-85 from Charlotte North with the door open. You could be in three districts. You could be in three districts. (laughs) Picking, you know, whatever it took to get Mel Watt elected Congress. To your point about it being a, a bipartisan issue, maybe you could even say it's just human nature, right, to to want to get as much as you can. I was outside the press room a few years back. The Democrats were having a press conference. Actually, they were also having it with Chuck McGrady, I believe, who was a Republican and was for redistricting reform. A Democrat comes up to me and says, Brian, what are they having a press conference about? And I said, well, it's basically the Democrats wanting uh, redistricting reform. I said, you better get in there. And he says, no, no, oh, no. As soon as we get power back in the General Assembly, we're going to gerrymander the hell out of these districts. At first, I was kind of 
struck by that. But then I thought, well, that was an honest comment because that's likely what would happen. I'm sure there will be some movement for reform if Democrats ever get control, but probably not. I mean, it would have to defy history. (laughs) You know, I mean, it would be the first time for North Carolina where politicians had the courage of their convictions, you know, say in 2030, if Democrats take back control, I don't think they're going to start an independent independent redistricting committee uh, out of the goodness of their hearts. Like that member said a while ago, they're going to go against the Bible and do unto others <laughs> and, and just draw very gerrymandered maps. And that's, that's, and that's, again, that's not just something special to North Carolina. I mean, you look at Maryland's maps, they have some unique maps drawn by the Democrats. Illinois has some unique maps drawn by Republic, or excuse me, Democrats in Illinois. So it's, it's a both party thing. A couple of weeks ago, I had coffee with a Republican and uh, he works at the federal level and does a little bit of state work. And I said, I've heard a rumor that maybe Dan Bishop is going to want to preserve Jeff Jackson in Congress so that they don't run against each other for attorney general. And he says, yeah, I've heard that rumor, too. He says, it's not going to happen. The pressure yeah. from the national groups are really going to come down on the General Assembly and say, no, we need that seat in Congress. And so chances are Jeff Jackson is going to be carved out. That, that, that's exactly, you know, if I'm a betting, if I were a betting man, yeah. oh, wait, can I do that in North Carolina? Because <laughs> I'm a betting man. There's no betting uh, yeah, in North Carolina. Yeah, there's no betting in North Carolina. <laughs> I, I would bet Jeff Jackson will, will not be a member of Congress come next uh, next election uh, in 2024. And, you know, that what's unfortunate about that, and, you know, again, I, I'm a Democrat. I really want the state to reflect the makeup of the state. And I, I really think North Carolina is a purple state. Okay. I don't think you got, you know, it's not whole far right. It's not far left. It's somewhere in the middle. And we have 14 districts now. And I really think the congressional map should be what it is now, seven to seven, or maybe in some years, eight to six, mm-hmm. where you got a couple of competitive districts. Republicans win it some years. Democrats win it the other. And it should be eight to six. But I would bet you right now that come new redistricting and congressional maps, it's going to be 10 to four. What Democrats do you see surviving? Uh, it might be easier for me to recall the Democrats that have a tougher road. So I, I think Wiley Nichols is going to have a tough, okay. tough road um, ahead. I think Jeff Jackson will, would likely be out and probably Kathy Manning. Okay. That, that would be the three that, you know, I would go that three-name parlay right now. And I, I think uh, probably make enough money to buy us a steak dinner. Yeah, yeah let's keep working on betting references. Yeah, I know. <laughs> let's do some subliminal, subliminal messaging. Maybe somebody yeah. will, will uh, get that bill passed in the General Assembly. So Don Davis could survive, Deborah Ross, yeah. Alma Adams. Uh, Valerie Fushi. Valerie Fushi. There you go. And Don, and Don Davis is going to survive for one reason and one reason alone, and that's a recent ruling by the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court in the Alabama case that said they have to draw another African-American district in Alabama. I, 20, I think 27% of the population in, in Alabama is African-American. Currently, they only have one African-American district, and the Supreme Court recently changed the ruled that they will likely have to draw another one. And I think just today, as a matter of fact, there was a Supreme Court ruling that said that stand, that ruling stands. And so Alabama will likely be getting a second majority minority district. Speaking of all of these different lawsuits, one is how do you keep up with them? Because we'll say to each other, we don't even know which redistricting case this is. And two, from those what do you make of all of that as a national trend and all of the lawsuits? Like, where do we go from here? Yeah, it's unfortunate it comes down to lawsuits. And I think the only way to 
track them all. You got you got to have a wall dedicated in your house where it's like you know it's, you're following everything going on. It's you know even as someone that was a, a litigant in a recent lawsuit, it's hard to track them all. And, you know, until, again, politicians have the courage of their convictions to start drawing better maps, I think it's going to be the process of the courts to come down with the final decisions. And, you know, that's tough. You know, nobody wants to, you know, be litigious. But if that's your only out in in a checks and balances system, I think that's the route you have to go. I mean, if you had asked me a couple years ago that, you know, December of 2022, I'd be standing outside the Supreme Court talking about a redistricting battle involving North Carolina League of Conservation voters, I would have said, you're crazy. Uh, but that's if that's the only path to having potential fairness in maps, I think that's what it's going to look like for a while, unfortunately. I know you're not in the room where the ultimate decision is made on redistricting, but you are familiar with the redistricting committee and how it functions. I'd like for you to give us a little peek as to what the process is. There is an official process. And let me point out too, for listeners, basically the General Assembly Redistricting Committee is passing three different maps. There's Congress, there's the North Carolina Senate, and then there's the North Carolina House. Now here's what I do know, Dan, and I don't know a lot. Congress is done together, House and Senate, General Assembly, they come together to draw those maps. The Senate pretty much draws their maps, and the House is deferential to them. That's correct. The House draws their maps, and the Senate is deferential to them. So from there, there is a committee. There are Democrats on the committee. Right. They get to draw maps too, right? They can draw maps. They can submit them. What's going Uh, on? Yeah, they can submit maps, but again, I, I think most of that is just possible evidence. Okay. Down the road in the next legal battle. To show that there was an alternative. There was a better way to do that it. That there was a better, fair way to do it. And, you know, and that's, you know, that's the, the devil is in the details. And so you'll, that's, you'll see pages of maps drawn where the, again, typically the minority party is trying to show that we could have done this differently mm-hmm. and not made it so partisan. And, you know, obviously I don't think Democrats uh, have any inkling that those bills are going to pass, but I think they're just doing that for evidence. And, you know, back to the redistricting committees, I would say that, that they start out with the, um, all the legal rulings that's come down. You know, I haven't done it in 20 years, but you take those legal rulings into account, apply those algorithms, those metrics to the maps, and then kind of go from there. And you're right, most chambers defer to the other to draw the maps. We even saw that last time. And when you say they start with the legal decisions, you're, you're saying that they pretty much are saying, okay, hey, guys, here's the rules we've got to play by. Right. As long as you play by these rules... Have at it. Draw, draw yeah, yourself a map. That, that's right. Like, here, are the, here are the cases we've lost and won. <laughs> right. Okay. Here's what the law says right now we can and can't, we must do. Right. Okay. And, and I, I would surmise that's the, that's the first iteration of a map, applies those do's and don'ts from past rulings. I also understand there is a room with computers in it, kind of like that old college yeah. computer lab. Any member on the redistricting committee can go in there and you can play around on the computer and crank yourself out a map. That's right. And I, I believe that's all public knowledge. You're right. I, I believe you can log on to ncleg.gov and like, I believe you can watch those happenings occur. You could, you could watch uh, a Democratic member go in and draw maps. You can watch a Republican member go in and draw maps. And again, that's all open to the public and pretty, pretty open for everybody to see. How much of our culture around redistricting is because legislators are drawing their own districts versus 
the fact, and I think it's just a true fact, that voters surround themselves with like-minded voters. Yeah. I think there's an argument on both of those. Um, what's your opinion on that? I mean, I think it's true, right? I mean, you look at your friends, and most of your friends are going to be like-minded. Uh, you know, everybody has the crazy Republican friend. Everybody's got the crazy Democrat friend. Uh, <laughs> but, I, I mean, I, I think it's a true statement. Uh, and, you know, when it goes in the – I think what goes in the map drawing is just whatever it takes to keep power for your party. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, that that's not a Democratic thing. That's a, not a Republican thing. I think both parties start out trying to keep the power. I won't say they don't care. Um, about splitting districts or doing whatever it takes, but I think they start out trying to keep power. Um, and if that requires splitting precincts, split, you know, there's, in my neck of the woods, you know, there's, you know, since I've been there, I think I've voted at three different places. Uh, so, that, you know, there, there's been some different maps drawn several times in the 10 years I've lived in that area, 15 years I've lived in that area. So I voted at three different places because I've been in different precincts. And you go to vote at a precinct and there's six different sample ballots up there because this precinct split. You know, I don't think it's ever happened to me, but I know friends of mine, you know, they're in one district and the neighbor across the street's in another district. Right. Which there's, that, that's unavoidable at a certain level. Uh, right, you want to try to avoid that. At some level, that's gonna have to happen, and I wish it was happening more because not because of partisanship, but because it's just the way the maps fell out and the population. Right? And the population. That's so right. in C Senate, you need to have as close to two hundred thousand voters yeah. in each district. If one has two ten and one has one ninety, you might need to split a yeah. precinct, is what you're saying, to get that two hundred split. Yeah, there, there's an allowable deviation, I think, of five percent. And so most of the districts are going to fall within that 5% of deviation of the population. At the congressional level, I want to think it might be less at the congressional level. So whatever our population is, divide that by 14, and that's what an ideal district is. And so in years past, it's come damn near close to when the maps were drawn that the districts had the exact same number of people in them. Yeah, And that's hard. And that, that's going to require a precinct split here and there. But I, I think in, in that situation, less is more. The less precincts we have split, the the more fairness we have in maps. Last year, the House made a deal yeah. on their maps. The Democrats yep. in the House made a deal. In the Senate, they took a chance in the courts. Can you describe what that we, would even mean in redistricting? Yeah, so when, you know, again, the Republicans are in charge in the House. So they have maps and, you know, they, they bring in the minority leader and show him the maps. And again, I'm speculating. Um, I wasn't at that meeting, but they say, hey, look, here's what the maps could be. Here's what we've drawn. It's way fair. And, you know, they're showing, again, math percentage of deviation on, you know, what how districts have changed. This one di- district may have been. 55% Republican, and now it's going to be 52% Republican. Again, I'm just pulling numbers out of, out of the thin air. And they showed the Democrats that they tried to make the maps more fair, fairer than they were while listening to the guidelines of the court. And the Democrats in the House are like, we agree. You've done a pretty good job. And you know it's going to give Republicans a majority in the House, but that's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. And we think you've done a hell of a job being fair in the maps. And again, I th- it wasn't unanimous. I think there were a handful of Democrats that voted against it, but probably one of the more bipartisan, controversial bills that both House and Dem- both House Democrats and Republicans voted for. In the Senate, I think uh, Minority Leader Blue was advised not to make a deal. I'm not certain one was on the table to take, but um, I think they took their chances in court, and I think most would say that they lost. Mm-hmm that the Senate Democrats lost by, by not trying to make a deal with the House. I'm not, again, not saying a deal was out there to be made, but 
the committee functions just like any other committee. The bill is put before the committee as a proposed committee substitute or, or with amendments rolled in. It's before the committee for a vote. From there, it gets out of the redistricting committee is sent to the rules committee, sent to the house, it passes, then it goes over to the Senate for, yep. so that process is pretty standard. You're exactly right. Just like any other bill, it goes back to how a bill becomes a law. Right. And the one difference with redistricting in North Carolina that I think only three or four other states ha- have this issue, but the governor has no say mm-hmm. in redistricting whatsoever. So the governor cannot veto a redistricting bill. Um, so once it's passed the bodies, it becomes law. And I, I think there's four states. Somebody said North Carolina's the only governor that can't veto the bill, but I think, I think it's four, three or four sta- other states where the governor has no say in, in veto. And that could be a big deal, right? You know, if you have a governor of one party and close, closer margins in the House or the Senate where the governor can veto and nothing's going to happen. Yeah. You had a, a standstill and... Better maps are, would be the result of that happening, or better lawsuits. Governor Roy Cooper said in an interview last year, it's one of his regrets because he was the bill sponsor for the governor to have a veto override for it to be on the constitutional. Um, it was proposed as right. an amendment. He says it was a big regret of his. I I, I, I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> Not to keep bringing it back to lawsuits, but this is a two-pronged... Sky, I told you I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been in court, Dan. But, but I've been in court. <laughs> and you stood Mul- outside. Mul- multiple times. <laughs> oh, that's something totally different. <laughs> right. some, of the, some of the best lawyers are criminals, yeah. man. Yeah, some of the best lawyers are criminals. <laughs> you may not be on the Supreme Court, but we've heard you not, stood not outside. <laughs> I, I don't think you have to be a lawyer to be on the Supreme Court. So <laughs> if anybody you know wants to nominate a, a good old boy from the mountains, uh, I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> So, one, how do you decide whether to get involved in a lawsuit? And the other part of the question is, how much of the other states' redistricting lawsuits play an impact or impact you on whether or not you feel it has merit? Both great questions. And, you know, for us, from our point of view, uh, as I said, we have members in all 100 districts. Data shows that most North Carolinians, I think about 75% or higher, care about the environment. And so we thought our members weren't getting a fair shake in choosing who they elect that shares their values on protecting our environment. And so from that, from that standpoint, it made a lot of sense. As far as the state question, that's a great question. And I think you're always watching what happens in other states, you know, and that, that's what kind of gives you say hope a little hope if you see somebody take a case and win a case and you know there's always redistricting cases going on wisconsin pennsylvania you know alabama some of the ones in recent history where you've seen them have outcomes they're like okay that might give us some legal standing or show us a roadmap where if our rules are violated that we may have a path to victory with a lawsuit it has to have some effect on your advocacy when you file a lawsuit you're on the lawsuit and it's you versus more. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's got, that can't be, uh, I bet that makes for some awkward handshakes when you're with representative Crawford. And well, yeah, and she, she, she knows that if she turns around and you know, my, my wife is representative Sarah Crawford, mm-hmm. uh, when, when she turns around and I'm not there, that likely means I know that the member she's talking to doesn't like me. 
<laughs> she said, oh, where'd Dan go? And I was like, just trying to keep your job less awkward. <laughs> and me not having an awkward conversation with one of the redistricting chairs that I, that our organization just sued. And so, yeah, it definitely happens. And, you know, I think there's some members that don't want me to darken their doors. Uh, and that, that's understood. That makes sense. I'd probably mm-hmm. feel the same way. Instead of asking you a magic wand question. No, ask me not a legal question. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to look into the future of redistricting 10 years down the road, where will we be? Um, well, I kind of have two answers. Uh, sure. You know, I- ideally, we would be in a place where fair maps were being drawn. And, you know, s- some years Republicans control the General Assembly in North Carolina. Some years Democrats control them. So, you know, you have moderates, so that, that's you get things done because you have to work together. And, you know, you look at states where they're control goes back and forth. I think you see a lot of proactive things that probably gets more uniform support because it's best for the state. You know, compromise is the French word where nobody gets their way. And as long as we have gerrymandering in the states, um, that, that's not going to be the case. One party is going to be dominant or uh, over the other. And, you know, my real answer for that question is probably going to be where we are right now, where one party, you know, after the 20 30 census. That's just right around the corner. Mm-hmm. I remember when it was the, the light at the end of the tunnel. But <laughs> after the 2030 maps, you know, one party is going to draw the maps again and the other party's not going to like them and there'll be lawsuits. And so I think in 10 years, we'll probably be right where we are right now, unfortunately. And that's not good for the citizenry of North Carolina. Is there a state that's doing it the way you'd like to see it be done? Iowa was one of the first states that started the independent redistricting process and the power has shifted back and forth. You know, the problem with that is the makeup of Iowa doesn't look like the makeup of North Carolina. 1% minority. 1% African-American, right. 1% minority in Iowa, uh, whereas we're greater than that here. But I think that's a start, right? You know, I think just about anything is going to have some sort of partisan fingerprints on it because you know, somebody's going to have to appoint the independent commission. But I think anything is better than politicians choosing the people that elect them. And so Democrats have gotten it wrong in North Carolina. Republicans have gotten it wrong in North Carolina. I think I would be open to letting somebody else have a stab at it. A General Assembly can't necessarily obligate future General Assemblies, but I've always thought, why not just throw a Hail Mary and say, okay, we're going to do redistricting reform. It goes into effect 2040. Is that even possible? I think it is. Yeah. I I, I think that that, that makes the most sense, right? I mean, you know, you could say that about several issues, but I think redistricting comes to mind. You know, I think legislative pay comes to mind. Right. You know, nobody wants to raise their pay. Nobody wants to, you know, give the other party influence over who's drawn the maps. But, you know, like I said, let's try something different. We we know what's not working. I, I would likely support something like that. Well, Dan Crawford. We appreciate everything you're doing in North Carolina politics. You coming on the podcast and explaining a very complicated issue. You certainly know how to do politics better. Well, thanks for having me, and I'll see you in a year. (laughs) (laughs) The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. Scott, we don't offer a lot of commentary on this podcast. We just like to present information, but I do have something to say about redistricting and elections. You know, we hear a lot about voter suppression, 
redistricting process gets caught up into that or this bill or that bill. But nothing is more voter suppression than just the complete apathy out there by the voters. We're happy if 25% of young people vote or 50% of people vote. You know, and I think redistricting oftentimes gets used as an excuse. Oh, they gerrymandered those districts. This party can't win. And it goes on both sides. And I, I hear people say, well, the reason people don't vote is because there's no quality candidates out there. And I do think there's some truth to that. I believe the parties really need to focus on recruiting candidates that can win in a certain area. So if there's a district out there that leans Republican, you can find a Democrat who is more conservative. And I would say the same thing to Republicans. Like here in Wake County, we hear that besides Representative Aaron Prey, Republicans can't win in Wake County. Recruit better candidates here in Wake County so that they appeal to the voters. Yeah, it means you can't put out that cookie-cutter Democrat. You can't put out that cookie-cutter Republican. You've got to find that right Democrat. You've got to find that right Republican. Put them on the ballot. And then, folks, when they do that, get out and vote. So, you know, a lot of debate about redistricting. We don't know what the answer is. We really don't. The Constitution outlines this process to a degree. They're following this process. But there is a way. There is a way. Both parties need to vote, and they need to vote for better candidates. Tweet of the Week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Jerry Cohen. He's at G-E-R Cohen on Twitter. And it says, things I plan to ban. All in capital letters. So, things I plan to ban. (laughs) (laughs) Boneless chicken wings, lip syncing, and references to Dew Point. He's clearly never been to the Lawrenceville lip syncing competition. <laughs> Which you Where pre- one guy named Ross just did a different George Strait song every year. And that <laughs> was like pretty gold. And it played every night on the local station for the next year. Every night at like 10 or 11 p.m. So if you got wild and stayed up late. You could watch you could watch me doing car wash or video killed the radio <laughs> star by the buckles or conjunction junction. <laughs> Those are my three songs if you're wondering. Uh, so not sure I can be on board with that, but if you were running for office and you had to ban three things, what would they be? Old people tweeting things in all caps. <laughs> that needs wow. to stop. At him next time. We get it, Mark Rotterman. You're very upset about (laughs) losing the TV show on PBS, but getting on Twitter every single day in all caps and tagging the General Assembly. You're irritating us. Stop with the all caps. Stop with the multiple exclamation points. You only need one exclamation point. And by the way, you might not even need the one exclamation point. It's just too much. Stop with it. We get it. You're emphasizing what you're saying. I'll think of my third. What about you? What do you want to ban? 
we know the airplane thing, yeah, right? Yeah. You, you, you have a whole thing about the airplane. Yeah, I'm going to ban catcalling. If you catcall someone, I'm going to write you a citizen, or I'll arrest you, citizen the rest. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to jail because, number one, you, you're not getting anybody that way. Not it's all. uncomfortable for everybody who's around. Public embarrassment. I have secondhand embarrassment when you're yelling at me. So I just pretend I don't hear you. And then you say something else. And then you say something like, well, you're a bitch. Yeah. Okay. Well, five seconds ago, you said something very different. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I have to ask men, what are you thinking? You know, we know you see a pretty woman on the street and you feel like you've got to yell outside your car. Whatever you're yelling, has that ever paid off? So I had a friend who was a reporter in Alamance County, and she covered criminal court system. And she would go down to the courthouse and, you know, look through the record, see what she was going to write about that day. There was this guy who was handcuffed, handcuffed, and they were escorting him. The police were escorting him to the courtroom. Mm -hmm. She's there looking through the docket. And this guy's like, Hey, baby, what's up? <laughs> Can I get your digits? <laughs> men. So way, confident. Way too much confidence. Let's ban men speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking's for the girls. <laughs> yeah, you're not good ambassadors for men, fellas, if you're going to yell or honk and say all the things that you feel is going to pick somebody up. Okay, so that's one for me. I'd like to ban icebreakers. Yeah, me too. Icebreakers. I don't want to go into a meeting and we have to spend five minutes talking about what our spirit animal is or what's the, the good thing that happened this week. Let's just get on with the meeting. That's something about Zoom. You know I'm an early person, but mm -hmm. I'm never going to be early on Zoom because the first thing is the icebreaker. So I try to get on like five minutes late if I think an icebreaker is coming. So hopefully I miss that whole rodeo. Yeah. An interesting fact about yourself. My mind goes blank. I've got none. Does One interesting fact is that I'm disassociating right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in and out of the nonprofit sector my entire career, whether I worked for a nonprofit or I've represented nonprofits at the General Assembly. But yeah, going to these meetings where you do the icebreakers and then you break up into the groups and they put the flip chart sticky paper up on mm -hmm. the wall and then they give you multicolored sticky notes, notes and you're supposed to write something on it and then you put you stick it on there and then someone else sticks it on there and then you come together at the end and they say give us one spokesperson from your table to talk about why we put all these sticky notes over here at the end of the meeting you know what happens over my last 35, 40 years, you know what? Nothing. No, they take all of those notes off the wall. You know what they do? They ball them up and throw them in the trash. And you've paid $5,000 for a consultant to have you put sticky notes up on. I, I, I want to get rid of that, too. I, that's four things. Let's see. If you're on social media, X, Twitter, and you've got a fake account, you're not willing to put your photo up there. You're not willing to put your real name, but you want to come at me as a keyboard warrior? Get out of here. Just the <laughs> trolls. Get rid of those guys. Stop engaging them. They're trash. They're rubbish. They're all over the political spectrum. 
Get rid of them, ban them, send them to jail, delete their accounts. I wish people could take, see your hand right now. It's flying like an old person yelling at a referee. Take their computers and throw them just, in Jordan. Just get out of here. Get, get out of get here. Out. Done. Done. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Man, we sit here long enough. I'll think of more. You know what? Something I think that we should all agree on, like today, Diane Feinstein died. You don't have to have a post or an opinion on it. Like, just let the person, whoever broke the news first, they put it up, and then we all move on. It doesn't have to be like, Diane Feinstein really impacted my life and blah, 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 blah. You didn't know her. (laughs) Or like when a celebrity or anybody influential, everybody's on social media feeling like they have to put out a statement about everything. Like, Nobody cares about your opinion, newsflash, and we don't need to hear it. The wise man once said nothing at all. Y'all don't look like wise men, you look like stupid. And I'll take it a step further, Skye. If someone dies, and maybe they weren't your favorite person. Maybe you don't have to bash them. Yeah, it's not the time. Why are people celebrating this life when they did so many bad things? Yeah, be quiet. It's like my grandpa was racist, but I was still sad when he died. <laughs> Yeah, we're all a little good. We're all a little bad. I hope when I die, people, please don't list all my flaws when you (laughs) eulogize me. Talk about the good things about me. But how were you raised, people? The, The idea that you would bash a John McCain, the idea that you would bash a Senator Feinstein, it's it's just offensive. I've told you this story. My grandfather never voted for a Democrat in his life. But I remember him telling me when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, he cried. That's how we're supposed to be. It's a loss of life. But, man, we could come up with a list, I believe. But I bet our listeners have a list of things they want to ban. Yeah. And we need to hear from them. Tell us what it is. We hear from some of y'all on Friday mornings when you have opinions on the podcast. So just let us know. What are some things you want to ban? If it's funny enough, we might bring it up too. Yeah, before we sign off, we got to give a shout out to Lorenzo Pedro. He is a legislative liaison for the North Carolina Department of Transportation. He sent us a message last week telling us that he did inform Senator Paul Lowe that you and I, Sky, are not married. So appreciate that, Lorenzo. You did a great job for us. That's going to take a little bit of awkwardness. Next time we see Senator Lowe, we're just going to pretend like it never happened. Do you think he just said we're not married? Then it sounds like we're divorced and still working together. (laughs) Which would be wild. (laughs) Lorenzo, give us a clarification on what message you sent to Senator Lowe, but we do appreciate you trying. While Brian is riding through North Carolina this week, he is observing the outdoors. I suggest you do so as well. Go outside, enjoy the leaves changing, and remember to do politics better. <laughs>